0: Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for today's episode, joined by—wait, nope, three. Gotta say my name. Three, two, one. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for today's episode, Brendan Sano, joined by Zach Wallstein, Chris Knee. Fellas, are you ready for a Falk in the Road episode as we all head down to Miami? later this
1: week no i'm going to sleep the entire drive just not allow you to do it i know it's gonna to be tough to sleep for like eight straight hours but i think i can do it
2: especially Are you to your- sleep while driving
1: yeah you're supposed to drive yes, for half if i month. have to i will to help the people out and to save them from that i will do it.
2: <laughs> so what's uh,
0: gonna
2: be what's gonna be the name of the episode this time though
0: chris, this is chris how crashes, we all died chris crashes the car <laughs> the final fault uh, Zach, good to good to hear your voice uh even as you cough. How you feeling these days?
2: I'm doing better. Um feeling feeling a lot better than you know last week. Um, but just still chugging along.
0: Cool. Let's and you apparently through. got the whole entire knee household sick, as as I understand it.
2: That's a different that's a different sickness. I'm I'm hoping they can all get um you know healthy quick, but uh I don't I don't have the flu, now. I don't know what you're talking
0: about. I disagree. So for this episode, I haven't, I'm sick. I haven't got anyone sick. I'm going to get an a flu shot today. I might get the COVID vaccine too. I might try to get like an anti AIDS vac, Any, any vaccine I can get. I'm just going to all of them right now. Cause both of you guys surrounding me just Petri dishes. This is I'm becoming so political. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Let's get back on track though. <laughs> Chris, can you, can you drive us back into uh, a guardrail, please? And the podcast now
1: depends on whether or not we die on the way down
0: okay maybe you guys know it's f m f f m week we excited
2: i am
1: it's
0: just another game it is not just another game so it's just about us the seminoles yeah Uh, the jordan travis went out of his way to say absolutely nothing about miami as, as best he could this week which lets you know that this is a huge game. The, the fact that he went uh, quite bland on purpose. So the Seminoles are currently, as we record this on Thursday morning, seven and a half point favorites over Miami. Lines kind of moved around a little bit here and there. It'll really depend on if Tyler Van Dyke, and apologies if I call him Travis Van Dyke. That was my old ortho doctor, and that for whatever reason stuck in my brain. No relation, I don't think. But if Tyler Van Dyke is uh, healthy or, or go or not, that probably makes a, a few points difference there for the spread but as fsu goes down to miami gardens doak south they on paper match up pretty favorably against miami we will have dane draper and trey roland tomorrow on friday release a podcast of know thy enemy and give you a more thorough breakdown of the game but fellas let's get into just some of the the nuts and bolts of this matchup plus some intel on florida state from the week I feel pretty good about where Florida state is from just watching the practice the last couple of days, knowing that Miami's got some issues. I'm entering, we're going to drive down to Miami, feeling pretty good that Florida state should be favored and, and reasonably so Chris, what are your thoughts on the week so far practice and how are you feeling entering this game?
1: Well, I didn't get to see Tuesday because of the family household being a little sick. So I only saw Wednesday. I thought Wednesday was a good day, Thought the quarterbacks were on point, especially Jordan. Uh, caught the ball pretty well, blocked it up pretty well. In general, team feels like it's getting healthier. It's not entirely there, but it's healthier than it was a few weeks ago, which is a good sign. Getting Trayshawn Ward back in the mix, as Mike Norvell talked about, also a good thing. Uh, in general, coming off the practice, I feel like they're a team that's pretty focused. I thought the energy was really good, pretty consistent. You know, uh, It's not real hard to get focused during a rivalry week. I think that's one of those things that come naturally. I think the good thing that I saw – yesterday and that kind of felt based on the monday interviews with the coaches just being around the players on the last couple of days well it is miami and obviously that kind of demands a little bit different attention and creates a little bit different energy i don't feel like they're out of sorts where it's going to be almost too much where you worry about the adrenaline dump and then you put yourself in a pickle i feel like they have prepared for miami as though they expect them to play a good football game and be a competitive opponent i think that's a positive
2: yeah, um, I was out there for both days, or for most of Tuesday and all of Wednesday. Um, I thought Wednesday's practice was better than Tuesday's. I thought Jordan Travis threw the ball a lot better on Wednesday. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to note, I thought special teams, right? Um, I, I think this it'll be a really influential, um, you know, it's an influential part of any game, but especially in a rivalry game, um, we've seen what what good special teams play has done for FSU this season. You know, look back at LSU, all the all the you know, muff punts and the block kick, and obviously the block PAT. Just it, it can change a game. Um, and I and I thought I thought FSU spent you know they do usually spend a lot of time on special teams, but I thought they looked really sound, and I thought the coaches were really happy with what FSU was able to do in practice on special teams this week. Um, I think that's something that re- people don't really talk about a bunch because it's not you know the most um fun thing to watch in practice, but. I thought um, the units looked sharp, so um, that that's one thing to note. But I thought J. Traff threw the ball well on Wednesday, especially he had some dimes to Johnny Wilson, to Pokey Wilson, and some other wideouts. Um, Brendan, you know, did his uh, usual insider um, from practice, the the observations and notes that you can go and read. Um, but man, yeah, uh, you know, getting having the possibility of getting on Ward back, Mike Norvell said that um, it's super likely to happen unless there's some you know negative setback between now and, and Saturday, um, that, that's huge. Sean's a, a really good you know, asset to your your offense, um, and I think he provides something that the other backs don't, which is a little bit more shiftiness. Um, but, you know, that's not to say that Trey Benson and Feely haven't been great in his absence.
1: The mention of special teams is worthwhile, too, by Zach, because Miami's very good in the punt game as far as how they punt the ball, how they cover the punts. They, I believe, allow about 1.38 yards per return on the year, which is obviously an excellent average. And then on the flip side of that, they're also an excellent kick return team. So the fact that there's a, you know, FSU cares a great deal about special teams. We almost joke about it sometimes because of the amount of time they do dedicate to it. But it is something that's ultra important and it's a matchup in this game that's actually fairly intriguing because a team making a big play in the special teams game could very well swing this game one way or the other.
0: Do we need to talk about, or should I not talk about it? A jinx potentially? Hang on, I'm about to cough. Three, two, one. Why are you
2: coughing so much?
0: (laughs) At least I muted my mic when I started. Why are you
2: getting everyone sick? What jinx are you talking about? Yeah,
1: we saw him miss, what, one yesterday that was from pretty good distance. I think it was about 45 yards, but yeah, in general he's been good, but JP, John Papuchas on Monday brought it up again. He's been consistently good in practice. Even when he was having the issues in games, he was still fairly good in practice. He's been very good in practice the last few weeks. Uh Yeah, you know, to me, the Fitzgerald usage all comes down to down distance, where you are, where the game is, and that's how it is. I don't think FSU's in a pickle now where it used to be uh you know they basically had to go for it they didn't trust their kicking game I think they've gotten out of that phase of it but there's also an element of I think you only trust them so much
0: it does feel like it's not a complex at this point it's probably more what I was trying to get at where you're not everyone around him is holding their breath and he's actually like making good contact with the ball and like yeah from 35 I don't want to jinx it but moving Moving in the right direction there. I don't want to jinx that ahead of a Miami game, kickers and whatnot. So, Jordan Travis, Zach alluded to, had a really good practice on Wednesday, especially some of the one-on-one stuff and seven-on-seven where he's able just to, to rip it and uh, was just very accurate and very precise for the most part. Everyone take a, a, a deep sigh. Sigh. Yeah. it's funny with, with Jordan, we've talked about it on the podcast, like he, usually when he has a good week, good day of practice, like it, it portends to him having good games. And when he's a little tight, more tightly wound or just not throwing the ball as well, he hasn't been as precise in games. So I don't know if it's a total like apples to apples, 100 percent rate, but it is a good sign when he's having good practices. And I think that that was evident this week. Uh, from an injury standpoint, Chris mentioned Trayshawn. Oh, sorry, Zach mentioned Trayshawn Ward likely being back unless there's any kind of setback. I thought he looked good this week, especially like some of the red zone stuff they were doing. They've missed him and he's just having his his vision, his ability to find a little crease, and then to be physical and, and finishing off runs. Uh, Fabian Love it sounds like he's had a a great week of practice in terms of he left the game pretty exited the Georgia Tech game pretty cleanly. No setbacks or anything there for him. Chris asked him about that. Yesterday, so Fabo's good to go. So yeah, fellas like uh, knock on wood, but like I think Florida State fairly healthy, healthy as they've been since blank pre-LSU? Uh
1: probably well, I'd probably say Louisville game. Louisville. They still have a couple guys banged up, they kind of came out of LC with a couple guys banged up. Louisville is when they really got beat to hell, um, in the sense of physically, where it just really took a toll on them. So, yeah, I think it's probably the best sense that game.
0: So, what about this matchup against Miami and you know what? Just go ahead and say it, Zach. What's the cliche we wanna wanna say? The caveat first before we get into the analysis here. Wait, what? We <laughs> joked about it yesterday. You can oh, throw, throw the
2: throw the records out the windows.
0: Good. Thank you. You're great at this. Really appreciate the help.
2: Sorry, right. I was like looking at something on my computer. Um, yeah, throw the records out the window. Everyone's gonna say that. Every broadcast is gonna say that. Um, you agree with that?
0: yes typically the rivalry game it's funny the records aren't that different fsu's five and three miami is four and four uh the difference is fsu's quality wins lsu and louisville far trump miami's like what's miami's best win is it last week against that crappy virginia team
2: what about virginia tech what about Bethune cookman
0: yeah so miami's played two group of five teams an fcs team uh crappy texas a&m crappy virginia crappy virginia tech crappy mtsu what about which duke? is one of the mid- duke mid duke like it's i think i think the fbi has them ranked as 102nd strength of schedule nationally up to this point so miami being four and four as disappointing as it's been for the hurricanes but this was a schedule that set up really favorably for mario crystal ball to get some fantastic momentum in year one that has not happened however uh, there are things that they do well, and there are aspects that FSU needs to be leery of entering the game. But let's start off with the positive first. Where are some areas we think Florida State can have success against Miami? Chris, I will start with you.
1: Well, I, I, one of the big question marks there is quarterback. If Tyler Van Dyke starts, they're a better passing offense And if he doesn't start. If it's Jake Garcia, you can bother him. And you can bother Van Dyke as well, but Van Dyke's been through the fire a little bit more. Garcia hasn't. So that's an interesting, intriguing thing to me. I think another area where you can go after Miami is linebackers. The depth just isn't very good They're banked up there. It's a position that FSU exploited to some degree last year in their matchup. I think you can do it again. I expect FSU to come out and run the ball and run it pretty effectively and have a great deal of success. Miami's splits are interesting. I I touched on this in the 247, so if you want to get a little more feel for it, go and read that. But I talked about what Miami's done in wins versus losses both as an offense and a defense and the area where there's the biggest margin of change is the run game, both effectively running it as an offense and wins versus not as effective in losses. And then defensively stopping it effectively and wins allowing much more in losses. So it's an interesting dynamic there. FSU when they're healthy up front, pretty damn good against the run. So I feel good about their ability to limit that, you know, Thad Franklin Henry Parrish Jr. Both very talented backs for Miami. Henry Parish is a primary back. Franklin's their next guy. Franklin's a bit more of a dump truck, while Parrish is a little bit more high-end speed kind of guy. But I think FSU can do a good job against them. I'm interested how FSU is able to line up and run the ball in running downs. That's an area where they do struggle, despite being a very good running offense. Uh, the thing that concerns me with Miami when I look at them is that defensive line. It is capable. It is talented. Leonard Taylor is a damn good football player kind of guy that I would take on an FSU squad immediately because he is a great defensive lineman. Jafari Harvey's a good pass rusher. Akeem Masador is a talented kid. That's racked up a good amount of sacks for them. And uh, Daryl Jackson, who we're familiar with from Gadsden County, old Josh Farmer teammate and very good friend of Josh Farmer's. That's kind of their front four. Those are the guys up front. They can do some things. FSU's obviously been better as an offensive line and done a good job limiting sacks and performing better. And I guess, Uh, good term, is losing better at times as an offensive line than they have in the past. But this is the kind of group that can challenge them. And you know it's going to be a physical game. It was going to be physical no matter what because of the people on the field. But when it's a rivalry game, it gets a little chippier and a little bit more aggressive. And I'm just interested to see how FSC does with getting a push versus, versus countering the attempt by Miami to pressure the pocket and be a little aggressive up front. I think Miami's going to be very aggressive defensively. Personally, maybe not Manny Diaz aggress- aggressive, but they're still going to be aggressive. What? What was that look for, Saddam?
0: What was the look for Zach? Because you made the same look. Manny Diaz.
1: Manny loved the blitz. He doesn't. He
0: not think that's totally the right way to pronounce his last name.
2: Oh Diaz, yeah. Diaz? Sorry.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Diaz, yes. yeah. He is sick. Go ahead, Zach. I was trying to think of the Spanish, the Hispanic phrase for a white boy, but I can't remember it. That's what I was about to say, Chris. <laughs>
2: um, yeah. So I think, uh, I think the biggest thing, like Chris said, is FSU establishing on offense. FSU establishing their run game. Um, I'm really impressed with Miami's defensive line. Like Chris said, Leonard Taylor is a is a monster, and they have a, a few good pass rushers. Antonio Moultrie comes in, um, you know, a few times. Jah- Jafari Harvey. Mitchell Agude is kind of a linebacker edge guy. Um, Nigel e. Kelly is a true freshman that FSU is familiar with. That's been pretty solid for FSU, or for Miami this year. I um, think Akeem Mesidor is really impressive. Uh, but he actually left the Virginia game with a hamstring injury. So it's TBD if he'll play or not. Um, yeah, I think the biggest weakness on the Miami defense is, to some extent, their defensive backs um, that have struggled uh, – mightily in, in tackling and also giving up big plays. Um, and then the linebackers, um, you know, wh- whether that's a mix of injuries, uh, guys just not being that great at that position, they, they're they not that impressive. Um, I don't think Wesley Saint is going to be available for them in this game based on, you know, practice reports over there in Miami. And just, um, you know, I think he got injured in the Virginia game last week for them. Um, but the other guys in that room aren't really – don't impress me a ton. So I'd like to see FSU kind of work the middle of the field a lot. I also think um, Brennan noted this in his uh, three areas that, you know, FSU should exploit against Miami. Um, FSU should should uh, work Miami laterally and try to get the ball away from that defensive line um, and kind of force Miami's defensive backs to make open field tackles because um, that's something they've struggled with this season. Um, you know, on defense, I think, uh, you you got to try to make the Miami offense one dimensional, whether that's you know selling out against the run or completely selling out. Uh, if TBD is the the quarterback, I think you could you could uh, you know do it. FSU's done a lot this season and put two high safeties and just kind of let your defensive line go. Uh, you know, win their battles against Miami's injured offensive line that's given up uh, a decent amount of pressures and sacks this season. Um, I think that. FSU's defensive line matches up pretty well against Miami's offensive line, especially considering a lot of those guys are, you know, further recovered from injuries that they've had, you know, previously this season. Fabo and G- and Verse, um, so I think FSU's defense has a good shot at, at stopping Miami offensively. Um, the one thing I will note is I think Henry Parrish is a kind of an underrated running back. I don't know if the stats, uh, you know, show it a ton this season, just because of how much the, the offense has struggled in general. Um, but, but he's a really good runner, um, behind him. That's where Miami struggled a lot. Um, they play Jalen Knight in some, but he struggled with fumbles. So they're not really trusting him to run the ball, you know, a good amount of times every game. Thad Franklin's kind of in the same boat, not because of fumbles, but they just haven't um, used him a ton uh, recently. Um, it's mostly run through Henry Parrish on offense and he does a good job. So definitely got a note there, um, the receiving core has struggled some this season. Colby Young is the guy to note. Um within their past, you know, few games, he's been the go-to guy for Jake Garcia or TVD. Um he kind of has taken over some of those games and kind of helped Miami a ton. Um, so that's a guy FSU needs to keep an eye on and make sure he doesn't, you know, have a big day. Um Yeah, those would be my keys uh for FSU in this one.
0: You guys so, nailed um, it. Exact
1: point. Real quick on Zach's point about both their passing game offensively and defensively. When I was looking at splits, I found it interesting. Their offense has 55 passing plays of 15 or more yards, which is a really good number, but then we have 13 of 25 or more yards. It's very weird that they so heavily fall into that margin of 15 to 24. And then on the flip side of that, defensively, they've allowed 39 plays of 15 or more yards, but they've allowed 19 of 25 or more. And again, we've pointed out they didn't play exactly a murderer's row of a schedule nor offenses that are ultra explosive. Um, you know, it's interesting. One thing we neither of us brought up, and I don't know if you were planning to, Brendan, but I'm going to steal your thunder if you were, is turnover margin. The Duke game kind of, you know, changes that number and put it on its head. But they've lost nine fumbles on the season. That's 123rd in the country. They have thrown seven interceptions. Also, they've only thrown seven passing touchdowns. Seven interceptions is 56 in the nation. So they've lost 16 turnovers. That's 109th in the nation. They've had 12 takeaways. That's 66 in the nation. Their margin of one point or I'm sorry, negative 0.5 is 101st in the nation. But again, wins versus losses and victories Their turnover margin is 1.25 and losses. It's negative 2.25. So they are kind of a Jekyll and Hyde bunch to
0: some degree. That, that Duke game does skew that a ton. The think about, like, the fumbles, that, like, losing nine in a season is fairly absurd. It means you're putting the ball on the ground a lot, probably, too, I would imagine. But, like, fumbles are basically a, a 50-50 proposition over a period of time. So, to lose nine is – we'll see a, a huge part of this game, I think, is going to be if FSU can force one or two turnovers – takeaways, excuse me. Like, it, it – it's been getting better in practice. I think you can feel it coming a little bit, where it being a little more aggressive. I think some of the havoc that you can create with Jared Verse being closer to hundred percent, Favre Love it moving back and in, in the right direction, being on the field like that. That could give you some opportunities to do that. But like that is going to be a part of this game is like whether you can get some momentum changing plays uh, on defense because the thing about Miami's offense is they move the ball very methodically. They don't score a ton of points. Uh, part of it is they're not great in the red zone on offense. They're great in the red zone on defense. But on offense, not super explosive. Uh, Kev, in the video he put up earlier this morning, which check that out on those 247 or on the X's and O's YouTube page, it's the best thing going really like each week. He, he does a great job in snippets breaking down uh, FSU's opponents. But he noted Miami doesn't have a rush longer than 26 yards this season. As soon as he said, I'm like, oh, Miami's going to bust one for 80 yards to start off the game and and completely make that stat irrelevant. Uh, But my point being is that Miami doesn't do a fantastic job moving the ball in big chunks. They're much more methodical. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke has not been able to connect routinely on chunk passing plays this year. So uh, FSU's content to allow an opponent to move short yards at a time. But it'll be interesting to see because FSU's success rate on defense is low. Miami's success rate on offense is high. Uh, we'll see if that bend and don't break uh, format works well, if you could force Miami to to screw up a little bit.
1: So uh, Brendan brings up 20-plus yard runs. FSU's only allowed a half dozen all year. Their longest run FSU's allowed is 40 yards. They've allowed six runs of 20 or more yards.
0: If we want to get into some fun split stats for chunk plays, uh, Miami's passing defense, we're all over the place here. That's fine. There's going to be a more uh, segmented podcast On Friday with Dane and and Trey breaking it down in in, in segments. But Miami is 88th in completions of 20 plus yards allowed nationally. They're 105th in completions of 30 plus yards nationally. They're 122nd in completions of 40 plus yards nationally. They are tied for 128th in completions of 50 plus yards nationally. And they are dead last, tied for dead last in the country in completions of 60 plus yards allowed with six. How many of those were against mid Tennessee State? Uh, Probably half of them, I'd imagine. But the the
1: 98 yarder was a real, real, you know, pickaxe to the heart.
0: Oh, let me look up real quick how many 90 plus yard passes have been allowed (laughs) this season. But to Zach's point, that secondary is suspect, which is weird because the pass rush is really good. And they don't blitz a ton either. They do a lot of man to man defense. They're top 25 nationally in man to man defense. They are in the bottom half of the country in blitzes. So it doesn't make sense. You're able to get pressure up front pretty consistently. They're one of the better teams than that. That is an area to watch for FSU. FSU doesn't give up a ton of sacks. They do give up a lot of pressure up front still. So yeah, that is an area of concern in this game for me. But then you you somehow compound that with giving up a ton of long passing plays. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, there's only two defense, three defenses nationally that have given up 90-plus uh, yard completions. That is East Carolina. Somehow James Madison, which is one of the best defenses in the country at a lower level, granted, and Miami. There's only one team in the country that's given up two 80-yard completions. That's Miami. Wow, they really suck in the secondary. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. (laughs) So talking
1: about the secondary personnel, you got Cameron Kitchens leads them with three picks on the year. He's a sophomore, 5'11", 202-pound defensive back. He's got 30 tackles. James Williams, who's a kid that was a big-time recruit, is a safety for them. He's got a pick on the year, I believe. Yeah, he has a pick, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. And is James he a Williams little dinged up? Of, yes. They're very dinged up in their back half on defense. Uh, Corey Flagg is their healthiest and probably best linebacker, but after that, it kind of falls off a cliff for him right now as far as the health and uh, ability of that segment. Corey Flagg leads them in tackles as a team, not at a position. He has, a, I think it's 41 tackles on the year right now. Yeah, 41 with 25 solo stops. So, and he also has nine and a half tackles for loss. So, he is the one linebacker that I would definitely circle on the sheet.
0: And, and we mentioned, or Zach mentioned earlier, that you know they have a few other injuries that are kind of up in the air in that front seven as well. Wesley Besaint, which, which by the way, side note, Wesley Besaint and Nigel e. Kelly both looking to be dudes down the road. Like that, that's a toughie, um, but is what it is. Rising Spears in good shape now. Um, but if Wesley Bassainth isn't able to go, that's probably their second best linebacker. By PFF grades, their most efficient linebacker. And and then the storyline that's like not being talked about a ton. Zach alluded to this. That's a key Mesador. If he he left the Virginia game early, I think with a hamstring issue. We all know hamstring issues can linger for a while. Do we know what his status is? Because if he doesn't play, I mean that's that's by far he he's their most efficient pass rusher on defense. And he's their leader in sacks. Like, that's when I,
1: when, that's huge. I, when I was doing a 247 on, uh, I guess that was Monday night and a Tuesday, um, I talked to somebody down there. They they described TVD as doubtful at the time. They described the Saints as unlikely. Mesidor was a sort of a we shall see, is how they put it. They brought up the injury from Virginia, but they didn't really know for sure at that point gotcha. whether or not they expected him to be available.
0: And then Leonard Taylor inside is turning into a menace for them. He's still kind of his role is being defined and carved out. But like we saw it against Virginia, like what he's capable of is a really talented recruit. What's his second year now? As uh, someone who's coming to his own. His PFF grade is 91.2. So I mean, that's that's elite, uh, whether he's that on a down and down basis. Like I'm looking forward to FSU trying to test him, but that, that's going to be a matchup. Other side of the balls, so we've talked about some of Miami's offense here. Uh, one note that's important. Uh, Zach mentioned the the passing game for them and wide receiver Xavier Restrepo is likely coming back for this game. I think it sounds like he is full go right now. He he was played last week. week. He
1: was on a pitch count. They expect him to play more. That's another one that came out of conversation on the two four seven.
0: So yeah, he will be he will be full go for this week and against Florida State, which is uh, unfortunate timing for the Seminoles because he is probably the most consistent wide receiver in Miami's room. Really good slot guy who does a good job finding finding soft spots in zone defenses and. We've seen FSU have its sheriff of struggles uh, defending defending the slot, and yeah, I expect that to be an area that Miami tries to test. Uh, finally, guys, like, well, are we buying into the Van Dyke stuff? Like, or do we think Mario Cristobal has made it seem like he's moving in a really good direction? Uh, are we buying or synon in that?
1: I mean, I mentioned uh, when I did the two four seven person I spoke to termed them doubtful, and that person is involved in Miami coverage, so I'll lean on him. I don't know. Coaches love playing games with quarterbacks. We'll see. Van Dyke is their better option, but he's also been very middle of the road this year for what he's capable of being.
0: Something poetic that Miami finally had the guy at quarterback last year and got him as, like, in between the guy who was supposed to be the two other guys who they thought were going to be the guy, and now he's not the guy. Hate to see it. Hate to see it. You guys want to play Byers-Sonone?
1: Real Let's quick, one it. guy I don't think we really mentioned was Will Mallory, right? Did
0: we really oh, yeah. Talk about oh, tight end. I mean, very, yeah, very good yeah. for them.
1: Yeah. Veteran guy. He leads them in receptions and yards. Uh, big body guy. Athletic can get down the field. It, it's a big test for FSU and how they're going to do against a tight end. They've, they've played a few good tight ends on the schedule this year. This is probably the best one they've played to date.
0: You know, it was an encouraging development we saw against Georgia Tech that maybe this can carry over, and that was kind of the unleashing of Jamie Robinson, uh, moving him into that dime linebacker package, which he does a lot anyways. And it helped that you were able to win on standard downs and get into that dime personnel a lot, but him as a blitzer, and then you can get him, uh, you know, in down towards the line of scrimmage to maybe guard Will Mallory uh, off the line. Like, I think that's a matchup that'll be intriguing. Is how you defend him. You obviously have Caleb DeLoach or Tatum Bethune potentially to to guard the tight end there um, but I would I think Fsu would be well served to have Jamie robinson uh, get it get into the extra defensive back package and get him there to to create some havoc and put your best DB on their most consistent steady offensive player probably let's get into bayer Sanone who's bayer sonoone sponsored by chris the turner group <laughs> you're looking so good at this Getting so good at this. So Soda is sponsored by the Turner Group. It is a Central Florida realty team, husband and wife, Colin and Amy Turner, both Knowles. Amy graduated 2006, Colin 2005. Colin works with buyers. Amy works with sellers. Don't Sunone on buying or selling a home just because it's a daunting process. Colin and Amy will make it as painless as possible for you guys. They're super responsive. Uh, they were willing to even, it, like, so here's what I'm gonna say. If you're in the market for it, or you're considering being in the market here in the state of Florida. Uh, if you just want to even know what the landscape ever changing in pretty volatile landscape of, of home buying or selling can be like uh, know that you're in good hands. If you give them a call and they can kind of paint a picture of what that process would look like for you. Uh, highly recommend it. Call it is awesome. You can talk a little Noles football with him as well. You can give him a call at 407-403-8546. You can email Colin at, at theirturnergroup.com Again, just go ahead and Google. Google the Turner Group. See a bunch of five-star reviews. Uh, please don't hesitate if you're just even been considering it. Support the people who are supporting us and making this level of buyer sonone which you guys love to play, uh, possible because we are playing it a lot these days because of what the Turner Group is doing for us. So let's get into it, fellas. Buy or sonone. I'm going to touch on some anxiety points, I think, early on here based on these first few buyer sanones Only got to about 10 or so today, trying to keep it tight, but want to thank everyone for what they've asked. Uh, buyer sanone this comes from Savvy's Knowles, finishing the season 7-5 with losses to Miami and UF. Has Norvell's seat warm in 2023?
1: Uh Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, I don't want to say it's going to be overly warm or that he's going to be on the verge of it if they start you know next season with a loss or something. But yeah, it's not gonna it's not gonna be warm and fuzzy if you're seven and five and the
0: losses both come to rivals. Oh, the suit will be the suit will be warm, but the fuzziness will not exist.
2: Yeah, i um, I'm I think if you lose to both rivals, then uh Norvell leaves the season uh with the with the seat warm for sure.
0: I'll buy that. You can't lose to both those teams, especially this Miami team, not particularly good. I understand a lot can happen with rivalries, but also three and two to end this
2: throw the records out the window.
0: Now you remember it. Thank you. Can you stop interrupting me, Zach? I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, sir. (laughs) You know, what? when I first started covering FSU in 2013, I was spoiled because they just beat rivals. That's what they did. And they did it. I think they started off a combined. My first, eight combined rivalry games covering FSU versus Miami or Florida. Yeah. It's eight. No, eight. No for FSU. And I'm saying that because you understand what a win means for that, but like really to get, to get the, the true essence of the rivalry, you have to understand what a loss means and just how much people harp on it and the ammunition, especially in the social media era, like what that gives opposing fans for an entire year. Like, yeah, like it, It matters. It matters. Even going back to last year, like the feel good of beating Miami in the way you did, but then to lose to Florida in in that bitter fashion to end the season and end the comeback bid uh, for Florida State to get to the bowl game, like yeah, these these games matter. Uh, If you go seven and five, or sorry, if you go seven and five to end the year, that means you just had a an absolute abysmal end to the season after the four and zero start as well, which would also yeah. So by long answer short, short answer long, whatever buyer's unknown moving on i'm buying that one this is from J. Rod. buyer's unknown florida state wins an acc championship over the next five years and he follows that up with mike Norvell is still the head coach when fsu wins the acc championship in the next five years so you answered it for us uh a lot of what's with the anxiety with mike Norvell, guys like this program's moving in the right direction what's happening here
1: it's november 3rd i don't get mm-hmm. it
0: <laughs> i, I mean, will I buy like, like... I... go ahead
1: I, When you're in season, I live the week-by-week week small picture. When you're out of season, you think big picture. It's just how I operate. I know not everybody operates
0: that way. It's you, just, yeah, you're also trying to get through a season covering it, and professionally, like, it's a little different. But, like, I just don't understand what the trepidation is. Like, I guess people are bracing themselves if things go poorly down the stretch, which, I mean, yeah, sure. If, the, if This it happens, fan base it happens. has
1: become infatuated, and maybe the media pool has too. I don't know. Maybe we fall victim to it, so I don't want to act like we don't. But it's fallen victim to, like, everything is this grand verdict on everything every single time something happens. Now, some things are just little minor things that pile up and it becomes the next thing. That's not the case. Like, I just, I find it kind of crazy. If FSU wins this week, they're a six-win team who's bowl-eligible. If they lose this week, people are going to be disappointed because they lost to Revival. They'll still need to no know to be bowl-eligible. The season will probably fall more in line with preseason expectations than we had hoped after a 4-0 start that that's what this week means in the grand scheme of things. It does not judge whether or not Mike Norvell or any members of his staff are going to continue to have jobs, get extensions or get fired. None of that's happening. No matter what happens this weekend, I just find it kind of nuts. Sorry. A little bit of a tangent there,
0: but. I feel so we, Everything good. I'm glad you feel better. Uh, everything is. Feels like a referendum. I get that's part of one. Things are sped up so much in college football now. Too. FSU hasn't been good in a while and that heightens anxiety and the fear of falling further and further behind especially as like dollars get pulled into you know big 12. Like UCF's going to be making more money than FSU is in TV contracts in a couple years like that's that's a hell of a thing and like that needs I get it you want to win games you want to position yourself for all the great things that are potentially available to Florida State and what Florida State deserves as a program for what it's done in the past. you want to get back there by winning consistently uh, listen. The program is moving in a good direction under Mike Norvell. This back half of the season is important, as we've noted before, because you are going against rivals. You do have those bragging rights that you can use as ammunition and momentum for recruiting trail. Uh, and also, like, just winning games means more, but it's not a, a week-to-week referendum here. So, with that in mind, uh, do I think FSU is going to win the ACC championship over the next five years, Byers-Snow? bye. Like, I don't think they're super far off. This offense has become so much more talented in a short period of time. I think what they've established on the trenches long-term, especially the offensive line, is going to be really promising. I think Julian Armella and Jalen Early, if they develop as expected, give you something to work with that you haven't really had recently, and the fact that you've gotten through this point in the season, knock on wood, without having to play them, super encouraging. I, I think the future is very bright for Florida State, and I don't think they're far off from contending with Clemson legitimately. Uh you need to keep getting better. And this is why this final stretch of the season is important to win games. So you can get a better caliber of recruit overall and keep enhancing the roster. But this program is being developed. It's not far off. So I'm buying it. And I think, you know, if if we're talking about, if we're talking about FSU winning an ACC championship in the next five years, then yeah, I'd imagine Mike Norvell is part of it. He's done a really good job this season. They're currently hitting above their weight class. And if they finish off the year, as we think they can, He'll probably earn himself a contract extension and, and continue to be at Florida State. Zach, what say you? Buyer's to ACC championship over the next five years.
2: I'm buying that. I think yeah. that the, the current trajectory kind of suggests that it'll be about two, three years before they start um, really, really competing with Clemson. Because um, obviously we've seen them have close games in the past two years. Um, but if you're going to consistently compete with them, you got to recruit at, at the level that Clemson is, which FSU just hasn't. To that point or to this point, Um, but I think, you know, with rising spear in check um, and uh, just the the on field results being consistently better um, year to year, I think FSU will get there within a five year span and I think Norvell will be the coach to do it.
1: I'll buy it because of the good things both of you said, I especially agree with you, Brendan, on what you brought up, but I wish I could snow it because I could say FSU is getting the hell out of this conference.
0: Oh, I oh, like it. I like numb. it. Well, yeah. So Chris is sardonian it, but not for the reasons that we think. So, if, so Chris is saying that FSU is going to win the SEC championship in the next five years. He's buying that, or the Big Ten. Doc White, Byers, them Winston Wright plays this year. uh so we have Winston Wright has not played this year. Last time we asked Mike Norvell about it, it was probably two weeks ago, and he kind of said still just evaluating it. Good days, bad days for Winston, if I'm not mistaken. That was the answer to that question. Zach, mute your mic when you cough, please. Come on. Uh, I think, so we have four more games left. I don't know. I I don't know what his status is going to be. We haven't asked about it in a little while. Like, listen, if we're writing about a guy a lot in a practice report, that's probably a good thing if we're not writing about someone in a practice report a ton, you know, read into that, how you will. Uh, He's someone who came off a pretty serious leg injury as someone who has their own broken leg uh, to deal with, there's good days and there's bad days. I get it. So yeah, I, you don't want to rush this with Winston, right? He would have a red shirt in another season available. And that's the route they choose to go. I know that's probably not what the young man wants or wanted for himself uh, when he came to Florida state, but um, that is a possibility. Again, you don't want to rush this sort of injury. I, I, I don't want to answer whether I, he's going to play this year. Cause I don't know the definitive answer. I will add, caveat here to doc white's question do I think Winston Wright plays this year? I will sit on it. At this point, I'm I'm not sure you want to rush it. And if you do, uh, you want to make sure you have, you know, the redshirt possibility available uh, if he is feeling good this year. So, I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll sit on it.
1: Yeah, I'm sitting it for now. I just – we've not seen him. We're in November. Four games left in the regular season. Just kind of seems like unless he just wants to play and go, seems like a waste of usage. Let the kid get completely healthy. Let him come back next year. Show what he is. FSU's got a capable receiving core currently.
2: Yeah, I'm sunon it for all the reasons you guys brought up.
0: Okay, I'll throw this one to you, Zach. This is Trisk954. So, 955 boys. 954 boys, ride or die. Byer, Sonone. Leonard Warner is the most pleasant surprise this year for FSU. Uh, He's been a pleasant surprise, right? Sonone Johnny Wilson. Oh, that's a good one. Damn it. That was mine.
1: I'll buy it. I mean, I, I had written – him and Brendan Gann are two guys I'd kind of written off as just not expecting to contribute to the football team for different reasons um, for the, each individual. But, yeah, Warner's been really good. He kind of wreaked some havoc there against Georgia Tech, and I know Georgia Tech's a little bit lowly, but Leonard's brought it. He's been good in practices. He loves his role. He's a good cat. Like, he's, he's a good dude. Like, I'm happy as hell for a kid. And I think his teammates are, too. And, again, it's another example of culture. is pretty good for that bunch.
0: Zach, if you cough one more time into the mic, especially when you're not talking, I will replace you with Dane. I'm not joking. Do it. I will. I will. He's not going to cough constantly. Dude,
2: sometimes the coughs just come out of nowhere, and I just can't predict it.
0: I think your Johnny Wilson surprises... Is apt. We thought he would be a very good like situational piece for them, but like this flashes of dominance that he shows. He's a um, receiver
2: that, one. He's a yeah. wide receiver one.
0: Yeah, true wide receiver one, and yeah, just really, really intriguing talent, and is starting to max out his potential. But Leonard Warner has been a great story. Like it's it's been really cool to see. Chris mentioned this like a a, a glimpse of like this culture's or this program's culture. It shows with Leonard Warner, someone who. One, consider entering the transfer portal. I think he did enter the transfer portal a few years ago. Stuck around, was willing to do a position change, got hurt, fought through the injury process of, like, his rehab. He decided to, you know what, I'm going to stick around the team and, like, immerse myself into this. Helped signal plays last year. Now he's back. He's helped FSU withstand uh, – the absences of Jared verse and Dennis Briggs, not being like what you thought he was going to be at defensive end. So you've allowed Dennis to move back inside largely because of the play of Leonard Warner and Patrick Payton. I thought Leonard would give you like 10 snaps, maybe 15 this year per game as like an edge setting type. Uh, but for him to be up to like the 20 to 25 range and still playing well, like, man, that's huge. Like he's, he's helped out tremendously. Uh, that That's when we talk about this program moving gradually in the right direction like that's an example of the development that we're talking about and and guys buying it Leonard ward talked about that the other day too Uh, he talked about how much he's called it night and day when he first got here in 2017 2017 he was here when jimbo fisher was a coach Um, he's talked about how much things have changed over his time here at florida state so uh, he has been a great story no doubt tb golf 714 known the Turner group closes more deals in November slash December than FSU does on the trail oh boy well how many I mean so Collins closing about 10 10 deals per per month close to it based on last year do we think FSU is going to close on over under I'll set at nine and a half recruits by December or through December High of
1: December I'll, I'll I'll buy that they close that many because they're going to get three to five more high school slash JUCO kids between now and Euro signing period is a goal, and then they're going to go portal hunting and portal depending on departures from the program, the portal group will probably be six to ten kids total. So yeah, the number fits in there. Nine and a half is a pretty good bar to set because low numbers nine to high numbers fifteen. Um, but yeah, I, I think they do.
2: I'm snowing it. I'm going with the Turner Group. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you shill. You suck up. Sorry, called. S W L Seminole, buyers known. FSU has ha- wait has more than four guys declare early for the draft. Buyers has more. So you're it. Five, love five. it.
1: Okay, love it. Robinson verse maybe. Uh,
2: so that's,
0: only, that's, that's get, only three. that's gets All right, hard so,
1: after three. Johnny?
0: Johnny Wilson. So let's yeah. – like who else could it be? Johnny Wilson, maybe Jordan Travis. I expect
1: some other guys with non-exhausted eligibility to depart, therefore entering the draft. But let's be honest, some of them aren't getting drafted.
0: Well, does it so – yeah, like to Kalen Brooks, higher. does he count last right. year's declaring for the draft? Like would we count that in this exercise? I don't think that's fair to do. Um, just trying to think who else. I mean, Akeem Dent, do you think he could declare? I don't know if he would get drafted based on how he's performed this year, but I mean, he would at least probably be someone who gets rostered initially. And he's been here for four years now. Yeah. I mean, we're at three guys that we feel pretty damn good about two that we feel great about. And I think first is probable as long as he, you know, keeps producing the back half of this stretch here. Uh, Zach, you mentioned Johnny Wilson. I think that's an interesting one. Like, would he, would he better himself by staying another year? And if so, like, how much? Because he's probably someone who would get drafted right now based on those the production he's had this year and, and the tools, right? Like, I, I yeah. can imagine I think, drafted. Um,
2: I think another year would benefit him, but I don't know if it would benefit him enough to turn down probably, you know, the money he'd get, like, like declaring this year. Especially if he stays consistent the rest of the year um, against, you know, not super great defenses. Obviously, Syracuse is good, but, like, you know, the rest of the schedule, like he could have some big games. So um, if his production stays the same, um I could see him being a, a, a draft guy for sure.
0: Okay. So I will Sunone it for now. Cause we're saying five and I don't know if I can get to five confidently. So I was to it right now. Larica 14 buyer to FSU flips a high school quarterback for the 2023 class.
1: Sinone, for the same reasons i've said the last four times we've been asked this question
0: i'll buy it because i'm a pause pos- I'm, I'm a optimist
2: i'm
1: buying it <laughs> you jacks emory or bust
0: or brock or bust nah, what do they get what do they get chris parson back yeah yeah what about that chris you never thought of that next question jack's tribe buyer Sinone. Miami's defense is better than FSU's need a receipt. Oh, I see I see what's happening there. It is weird because Miami's defense, again, the, the front is so damn talented. The back end's been so sloppy. and FSU, has
1: two sides. Talent, Miami might be. Actual production, playing the game and doing what the hell you're supposed to be out there to do, they're not. FSU's been better. And I'm the king of thinking FSU plays a very boring, mediocre style of defense, but it's been effective. Miami's has not. So I, I guess I if you're if you're using the word talent, I guess I would buy Miami. If you're using the word talent in the sense of production, what they're doing on the field, what you expect on Saturday, I'll take FSU over them.
0: Yeah, I'll just have known it, but like I don't think it's a crazy like I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world to be like, especially like I think. I think Jack Straub's throwing shade at Bud for saying that a few weeks ago. And, like, he was probably projecting for Miami to kind of figure out a little bit because of the talent they've had. I don't want to speak for Bud there. But uh, it hasn't happened to the extent that you need to to, although their defense did play well last week. So uh, that defense's numbers are also totally skewed by just how bad a position their offense has put them in a couple times as well, especially the Duke game. Um, but anyways. sidebarn
1: side barn last week with Virginia. My God, what has happened to Brennan Armstrong?
0: Oh, he was my ACC player of the year, the preseason. Yeah,
1: and he has, I think, seven touchdowns, six touchdowns. It, it's it's a lowly number for a dude who is an offensive playmaker.
0: I have to be totally honest. Every time he takes off his helmet and he has those two stud earrings in there, I'm like, come on, man. That's not what a quarterback does, right? Am I just being old, old head, Brendan? <laughs> Yell, at Yell at that cloud, Sonone. Yell at that cloud.
2: Okay, Boomer. No, but Virginia's offensive line is awful. He has yeah. no help.
0: Yes, and that was that was always the concern—is whether they could revamp it. But like I thought, they could scheme their way to the skill guys that he had. But clearly, I miscalculated on that one. They suck. Middle Georgia, Nolan, Ninety nine. Byers, Sanone FSU's current three headed monster at running back, Ward Benson, Toe Philly is better than oh boy, the twenty thirteen running back room of Freeman Wilder and Carlos Williams. Um, that's a Sanone I really like this running back group, but what are we doing with that one?
1: Yeah, I'm so that all three of those cats played in the NFL and you know were good NFL players. I'm I think this group is good, but nah.
0: no. I'm not having recency bias here. If you added C.J. Campbell and Rodney Hill to that. Maybe he took out you know a couple other guys. Then then you can entice me.
2: <laughs> I'm so noting that. Um, although I think the guys, these guys are utilized better in this offense, and that's why their production has been so great. Um, I don't think the talent level is anywhere close.
0: Yeah, Devontae Freeman played running back in the NFL for a while. Carlos Williams had some really nice moments and didn't help himself out. But, yeah, you know, I mean, talked multiple NFL-caliber talents. Proving guys.
2: is a dude in the, what, CFL, right?
0: Yeah, he's been in the CFL on and off for a while as well. So, yeah, I mean, those guys have gotten paid decent money to play professional football. Fingar75, Byersonone. Next year's starting cornerbacks are on the roster now. I thought that was a good one. I thought it's a good buyer to know because I got you thinking a little bit, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they likely return Green Cooper. You hope AZ Thomas takes the next step. You got Sam McCall who could play corner safety. So I think, yeah, probably. Jerry and Jones I'm still awesome.
0: has Are we saying at
2: both spots? We're saying yeah. at both spots, they're already on the roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, FSU I'm has...
2: That. I'm noting okay. that. Wow. I think they're going to get just... a portal DB.
1: I don't know who they're going to get... I agree with Zach that they probably go shopping for one. I just don't know if they find one that's starter quality that exceeds what they currently have.
2: I think they're going to put a huge premium on getting a, a ready made portal DP. Yeah,
0: I, I think, think on a team where a...
1: development's been so good that that's a position where it needs to pick up.
0: Yes, I think we could all agree on that. Part of what we were talking about the other day like the defensive backfield. Zach and I were talking about this at practice. Like, your two highest-rated guys, Travis J and Demar Tate, are basically scout team players at this point. So forget, like, them not even, like, living up to their potential and and being, you know, they're not even contributing right now to your your Saturday efforts. They're helping out in the week. Travis Travis J, by the way, always does something cool in practice on scout team when he's playing, like, wide receiver or running back. I guess we'll get that narrative going again. Yay. But, uh... (laughs) But it's kind of it's amazing when you think about like the amount of scholarship they've they allocated towards that position group. Like Malik Feaster is not really going to contribute this year. I think he's in line to get a redshirt, whether it means it's a redshirt and return to Florida State or if he goes somewhere else. I I really don't know. But like you have you have three scholarship players minimum there who just really aren't doing anything for you on game days. And that's yeah, development needs to be better there. They've regressed, especially at cornerback this year. It's been disappointing. Uh
2: no, it's like the high. one position group that you can point to that just hasn't had like steady development and progression.
0: upwards. I mean, last year, like I mean, Kevin Knowles was fine as a freshman, and Amari Cooper was really good. Was really good, and like that. I mean, staff gets credit for that. Like they developed, they found those guys, they developed them, they put them in position as a true freshmen to contribute. The setback, and I don't think those guys have been hundred percent all season, but still, like, yeah, it's. I will say known that I think next year's starting cornerbacks. Collectively I, I, are on the roster. I think you'll add one in the portal if if you can help it. If you can find yourself a quality player, they will be aggressive and probably pursuing one if if that is a possibility. And I think you'll have at least one new starter next year. JJH10, Byersenones, our last one. Norvell needs to finally jump into the top 12 in high school recruiting class in 2024 to stay on pace with the rebuild. It's interesting thought process here of like, do you continue to get better recruiting the high school ranks and do you continue to maybe start pouring more resources in terms of scholarships into high quality recruits? And can you get them, Chris?
1: I think I would buy that. I do agree that there needs to be an uptick in it. I think it's also important to get guys that you're going to have for their entirety of their career with hopes that they don't go in the portal. Um. But I do think the caveat there is they've done an effective job using the portal. They've also found some through the portal that give them multiple years, uh, potentially Johnny Wilson, obviously a guy like Deuce Span Will. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting. I think when they walked in the door here as a staff and the portal became what it's become, their intention was to be more of a high school recruiting staff. I think they've kind of deviated a bit from that and become more of a portal recruiting staff. But at some point I think you need to deviate back in the other original direct.
2: I have a hot take. I don't think I think people make out high school recruiting to be way more important than it is um, in the modern era of college football. Because if you look at like the percentage of guys that you're going to sign in high school that stay at your school the entirety of their career to be developed, it's just it, like I don't think that like it's It's not you know a super high percentage. Um, and then when you look on the flip side, look how many guys, obviously FSU's an exceptional case um, in, in this you know standard, but um, look at how many guys they hit on through the portal in the past two cycles, right? There have been a few um, that they haven't hit on. but I just think that it got like pretty much every contributor for them um, like any, any major contributors is a guy they've gotten via the portal. Um, and yes, I think you need high school, good high school players to build up your roster in the long term. but I don't think it needs to be this like major priority over the portal. Like people are making out to be, especially when you can get a guy like a deuce Span, for instance, who is a quality receiver. That's done some stuff for you this season. and can come back maybe a year, you know, a year, maybe two years uh, after the season and, and give you quality production. Whereas like, I think, especially at like some positions. like I think linebacker is a hard position to recruit out of high school. Sorry, I'm going off on the tangent, but I just wanted to bring this up because I've been thinking about this, and uh, we, we spoke about it yesterday um, You know, at practice. I think that linebacker is a hard position to recruit out of high school because you're not going to get a lot of guys that are ready-made for college as far as their physical uh, attributes. I think that going portal for a linebacker, like we've seen FSU do with Tatum Bethune, um, a guy that's been super helpful on this defense, a guy that's a, a, like one of the strengths on this defense, um, you can plug and play. Um, and he has a prior connection with the staff, obviously. Um, but he's just been a dude for them this year. And I, like, I don't know if there's any high school player, especially you have to consider where FSU is in the high school recruiting landscape right now. They're not going to land any prospect, um, especially like at linebacker that's going to come in and and contribute right away. In my opinion, like I like Blake, Blake Nicholson's a really good linebacker. He's a top two, four, seven kid. I still think he's probably two years away from, or a year or two away from um, giving you quality, you know, starting production. Um, So that, that's just my hot take on it. What was the question again?
1: (laughs) So a couple of things to add to what Zach said, and Zach makes very good points is one, Uh, sadly college athletics has become year by year teams. It's no longer we're building to something Uh, as a basketball guy. That's nowhere more true than in basketball, where I feel like basketball teams are literally being composed for one single year, being blown up, being recomposed to football, because you have 85 guys. It's a little bit different, but it's still kind of true where you are building for individual single years. Another thing, FSU's roster construction over the last half decade Reached a point where it was barren of people of the middle age of sophomore, junior types. It became either very old or very young. And for whatever reason, it couldn't build up that middle part. That hurts with allowing guys to have time. You know, Adam Fuller says it often of one of the things that benefits Kalen Deloach and some of these other third year guys with them is that they are third year guys with them. The issue is a guy like Delo just had to play all three of those years because they didn't have anybody at the position to really step up and buy him time. Getting a guy like Bethune has bought some others under him more time. So that, that's kind of a interesting thing. It, it is a weird era. The one thing I worry about if you get so heavy on the portal is in the year where you just can't pull it off and you leave yourself too many holes because you haven't recruited guys that you're developing within your program to have kind of that fallback plan to me, the portal needs to be band-aids and not the end all be-all.
2: No, I agree. I definitely, I don't think it should be your complete roster building uh, strategy, but I think uh, for positions of need or positions that you want to upgrade like Alabama does, there's different tiers to the system, right? Like and Alabama not going to rebuild their roster no. or try to, you know, play for one year uh, through the portal. They're, they're adding a Jameer Gibbs or, you know, a, a really talented receiver through the portal. Um, you know, only a few spots, but FSU or Michigan state, or, you know, some of these other schools that have seen a lot of success through the portal are trying to rebuild that, you know, a variety of position groups. So it's, it's definitely different um, strategy wise based on the, the tier you are in college football.
0: With that in mind, one, one thing that's kind of that I've thought about the last couple of days here, especially as we're getting close to the transfer portal period opening up in December What are your thoughts on like how we as an industry, especially as a 24-7 rank transfers, like the value of them in a recruiting class? I think it needs to be higher personally, like as a bigger part of the formula for the reasons you guys mentioned, like that's becoming a a increasingly bigger part of roster composition, especially with impact players. But then also like how, how do you rank someone who has multiple years of experience? Like a Fabian Lovett. You've had him for three years now. Should he be part of like, almost part of like your recruiting class in future years too, if you're able to get a transfer, like in the rankings portion, like if Fabian Lovett should have been part of the 2022 transfer class rankings. Like I think you can make that case because you retain a transfer who you brought in and he's still contributing instead of being a one and done type. Like there needs to be some level of value put on having guys for multiple years in this flip floppy, like microwave era of college football. I well, think it's interesting. Are,
2: yeah. Go ahead, Zach. Sorry,
0: sorry. I should have thrown that to one of the other. That's my not fault. So
2: I think it's interesting in that, like, high school rankings are a lot, you know, based on projection. Right? There could be a guy that's really not all that impressive in high school, um, but you see the physical intangibles or the you know the testing numbers, and you're like, man, that guy could be a dude at the next level or even it, on Sundays.
0: It's entirely on. I mean, our system yeah. is based on. On what they're gonna, what we think they're going to eventually do on Sundays. That's how we rank Exist- them. If they're gonna be drafted. Yeah, it's all. It on would potential. be, it would
2: be a little bit of a shift in the ranking, you know, strategy and how you're you're going about ranking these players for for whoever's doing it. Um, you know, I think taking into account, like you said, how long you have a player and like how much that's worth, I think that'd be something you have to figure out. And also, it's not a projection to the college level anymore. It's just the projection, I would guess, to the NFL. I mean, that's obviously what the high school rankings are. They're also trying to, you know, find out, you know, what that guy's going to do on the college level as well. Um, you know, when, when you have guys that are already um, at, you know, playing on Saturdays, I think you'd have to switch up a lot with, with how you're ranking guys. But, yeah, I think Brendan brings up a good criteria to start off with. Um, and I definitely think they need to be more uh, included in class rankings because of just how important transfers can be towards building a team.
1: So with transfer rankings, I'd bring up three quick points. One, I think you almost have to do subsets of their age because with high school rankings, they're all the same class. With transfer rankings, you're ranking some guys who are fifth-year college players transferring and some guys who've been in college for six months transferring. It's just that's a tough thing to put all of those together and try to compare them as it's apples to apples because it's really not. The other thing I would say is with transfer rankings, you need to judge two main things first and foremost. What's the impact they can make on a program probably pretty immediately or within the span of a season plus. And then the other thing is long-term who and what are they like? What's the chance of them going pro Jared versus a good example. If you're going back in your ranking and what's the impact he's going to make on FSU in 2022, what's the possibility of that guy making it to the league? How quickly do you think he can make it to the league that should elevate his ranking? For example, two years ago with Jermaine Johnson, he was poorly ranked because he had been at Georgia as a second level guy But he was coming to FSU to be a starter. Anybody that paid any attention to that transfer knew FSU was taking him to be a starter. If he comes to FSU, he starts, he gets X amount of reps. Is the production going to be good enough for him to become what he ultimately became as an NFL prospect? He was a guy that was probably poorly ranked in retrospect because you're you're judging him more off of who and what he was at Georgia versus how long has he been in the college game? How has he developed? What has he done with the amount of reps he's been given versus the amount of reps he's about to be given? Which is it, it's tough. It's not very easy, and you're gonna hit something. You're gonna miss something. That's always gonna be true, no matter what you're ranking. JUCO, high school, college doesn't matter. But it's just it's gotta have more resources on that. It's become a much more important thing. It is as equally important as high school recruiting at this point, in the sense of the ability for teams to immediately have a turnaround and be successful and be good. You know, Michigan State last year is a prime example. Tennessee has some elements this year that is because of portal awareness and what they did is why they're in the current position they're in in the college football landscape this given year. And Michigan State's a great example because it was a one-year injection instead of being a long-term thing. They fell off a cliff after that one year, but they had that one-year injection. So you got to look at it that way.
0: Remember last year, all the message board posts, well, why can't FSU do do what Mel Tucker's doing at Michigan State? It's just it, you know, Everyone's going to build it in different ways. And sometimes it's going to work. Sometimes it's not. But I I don't have any qualms with the way FSU's building it. Chris, you mentioned resources. One other thing about transfer, uh, and even just high school, like rankings. That as an industry, we are going to have to adjust to, and it's tough because it's not apples to apples. The NCAA has butchered this part of it. It's not all public, Uh, and that's NIL. And like how much you're spending. Like there's going to be different guys that have different values of like not just how they're valued at NIL, but like how what what deals do you get on a guy like what kind of bargain do you get like if you get a a quarterback a four-star quarterback for free at a program like say an alabama is able to cherry pick and you don't have to pay a, a blue chip quarterback that's immensely more valuable than paying the three-star guy at a lesser program uh some uh low tier power five and having to convince him to come play for you like it, that's all stuff that is changing so rapidly before us it's a fun time interesting time in college football to be covering it and to be a fan of it. Let's take a quick commercial break. I have one more buyer to know sponsored by the Turner group on the way back. We'll get to some recruiting stuff, score predictions. And we'll get out of here. So bear with us. Commercial break. We'll be right back.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Welcome back to On the Bench. My final buyer, Sunone, again, sponsored by the Turner Group, is this, fellas. Buy or Sunone... This game is more important for Florida State to win than it is for Miami.
2: Yes, bye.
0: 100% bye. I I agree. Explain.
2: FSU's
1: in its third year of a rebuild under the head coach who needs to have every bit of positive momentum he can have and beating your rivals huge. Miami's in year one with an excellent recruiting class being assembled, some financially being done, and has a head coach who's being paid for – X amount of years at a very high amount, he's going to be given time. Miami can blow it all up this year, and nobody's going to care if in three years they're good. FSU is in their third year; they need to start being good to better.
2: This Miami team is not good. It reminds me a lot of where Manny Diaz was last year with his Miami team. I mean, I think that you know the FSU game; every all the Miami fans were were super happy that uh, you know it got Manny fired and they they got Cristobal in there. Um, but I think that's kind of what uh, Mike Orbello is facing here. It's not a good Miami team. Like Florida State's team was not good last year. Miami lost that team. Florida State needs to go and handle business against a team that is just in pretty much every category not good. Um, so you just, yeah, I think this is a must win. Um, like Chris said, like if if Miami wins or loses this game, it's not going to mean much because they've, they've already lost to Duke and Middle Tennessee State you know, Florida state has things to play for as, you know, as far as getting back to bowl eligibility, um, making sure that, you know, their record is, is something that recruits will be attracted to. Um, because they don't have the luxury of having a John Reese who can just, you know, buy Miami out of its, its struggles on the recruiting trail. Um, and they have rising spear, but it's, you know, they don't, John Reese is a multi-billionaire that's just, um, spending millions of dollars, uh, in, in their NIL department. So, yeah, I think uh it, it's huge just for, you know, Mike Norvell's, you know, tenure uh, as well as what FSU is trying to do on the recruiting trail to finish uh this cycle.
0: So, let's move on to some recruiting topics here. We'll do our prediction at the very end, get out of here. Uh first off, DJ Chester making his decision today. Maybe he made it already. Yep. We're not anticipating it to be Florida State. Did it happen already? Don't tell me I'm going to guess it was LSU if it happened already.
1: Correct. Yeah, he committed to LSU about 40 minutes ago. Oh,
0: wow. I should have put in a crystal ball there. So, offensive tackle prospect that FSU's put it a lot of time in, felt pretty good about commits. I think they were hoping that that would move a little further down the road uh, and wait until December. I'm interested to see if Florida State continues to push for DJ Chester. I, I imagine they will. But what are your thoughts, fellas, on the offensive line board? It, it hasn't bolstered the way you would liked it to the last couple of weeks between Rod Kearney decommitting, now DJ Chester going public with LSU commitment. Uh, What are our thoughts right now? I guess who's left? What are we looking at with offensive line at this moment?
1: I mean, Chris Otto's still on that board. Elijah Philippi, who's a Juco offensive tackle that I wrote about a little bit today, is another one on the board. Uh, Keyshawn Blackstock's another Juco they're looking at. I also think they're definitely going to go portal hunting. I thought they were going portal hunting even when they did have Kearney and the potential of Chester being added. So I just think that will be emphasized a little bit more.
2: Yeah, uh, I think you try to get probably one more through the high school ranks, Um, maybe two. Uh, And then you go and try to add about three guys in the portal, you know, a couple guards or a couple tackles and a guard, probably Um, you need some tackles on this roster. Um, I think that's going to be a position that they really, really hone in on through the portal. Like they do, like we see them do every year um, because they're really trying to flip that room um, and try to make it better. Um, But I definitely think this year, they're, they already plan to do that, um, and I expect I don't expect them to go reaching for a bunch of, you know, high school guys to to fill out, you know, their needs. I think they're going to go heavy portal um, when, when the window opens in early December.
0: You guys both, I'll throw this to Chris because I know he loves him. You really like Chris Otto.
2: Yep,
1: I love him. I think he's got a great frame. I think he's athletic. I think he's physical. He likes playing the game of football. He enjoys practice. He enjoys learning the game. He's intelligent. I, I like the kid. I, I don't want to use my favorite cliche of he checks all the boxes, but I kind of feel that way. He just, just did. He just did. Is he
0: a tackle or a guard, Chris?
1: I think he's more an interior type kid. He could play guard or center. He, you could get away with him maybe playing tackle, but I think he's more interior type.
2: Dude, he's a he is insanely smart. He took an official visit to Princeton. He just got offered by Stanford, and he's like a really great film student. He won like an award at the 2022 – um, film or some film festival down there, Palm Beach, he, he's, Palm Beach
1: Film Festival.
2: Yeah, he's, he's impressive. Um, definitely, um, like I, I he, he just has the mindset that, that I think FSU wants, uh, in their offensive line room. Um, and just, uh, he's a guy that I think FSU should just go and get if, if possible.
0: How many like 300 pounders do you think they have on the keys? <laughs> sounds like, sounds like guys that are. No offense, Chris. More, yeah, I don't Chris. beast. <laughs> well, I was. a little bit more just like forty-year-old dude who. Maybe I mean, let's be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm a ten-pack away from moving
1: down there and being three hundred pounds. So, like, you know, hey,
0: dude, your beard right now with the shadow, you look like you got you got strong, broken dad moving to Key West vibes right now. <laughs> the
1: beard's coming back because they won again finally. So I'm not going to shave anymore and scare you, guys. Please keep
0: winning. I hate, I hate Chris without the facial hair.
2: <laughs> I think we we're. A-
0: his wife does too. I don't get it. Chris, I don't get stop what shaving. Doing. Stop shaving. No one likes it.
2: You look ins- like insanely good with the beard. Yes, yeah, like, so the well, beard makes your, him look it's so your, good. Mark
1: it down today. He told me to stop shaving. In six months, we'll revisit this conversation.
0: I will buy you some beard oil. Be an adult, take a little bit of beard oil, just a pea size. Put it in your beard every single day. I can't wait
2: for Irish Santa Claus.
0: P beard. Um, I'm off track. Oh, let's one one more recruit. Uh, someone who will be in attendance this weekend, but as a Miami official visitor, and that's four star cornerback from South Florida, Damari Brown. Zach, I'll throw this to you. I know you like to talk about your South Florida boys. I guess Chris Otto's a South Florida boy, but he's way South Florida. So this is for your range.
2: Yeah. Uh, Damari Brown's probably going to take this Is his last or his fourth official visit, but I don't expect him to take any others. That's not his plan as of right now. Um, I think that. Miami sits in a really good spot with Tamari. I was talking to some people down there and, and um, it sounds like Miami um, feels pretty good about where they sit going into this visit. Um, I think FSU is still in there and I think Alabama is the other program. Bama uh, is interesting because I actually think that they are making him more of a priority than many people think. Um, I do believe he'd be a take for them if he wanted in. Um, So I think, this is probably a Bama, FSU, Miami battle. Um, I expect him to make a decision closer to uh, signing day in December. Um, but, but yeah, I think this this weekend will be pretty influential as to what goes down. He was at FSU for his official visit um, when they the hosted Clemson uh, and that loss. He had nice things to say, uh, but he's not really a guy that gives a lot of lot of in an interview. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see just kind of how things shake out, um, especially if FSU can go and handle business, Um, you know, that, that'd be pretty influential, I I think. Um, But I think our Miami sits good in this recruitment, you know, pretty much regardless of what happens, I'd probably predict them to to land him at this moment. Uh, But you never know Um, game, you know, games can, can shift how recruitments go. Um, I I guess it's TBD on how much this one would shift uh, either way based on the results.
1: TVD. couple side notes on him in miami his father played there so he's a legacy his dad uh and randy shannon are buddies that's part of the reason fsu's in the mix here randy's done a good job building a relationship i thought randy
0: shannon couldn't recruit what
1: he's done a good job building a relationship with the kid and also having a relationship with the father obviously that's pretty well uh sustained over the years
0: that brings us to zach's so I think it's worth discussing why this list is the way it is. And we've kind of already hinted at it, but we normally do the top 10 most wanted lists at the start of each month. Some that Josh would do. And and Zach is uh, taking it over for Josh wildly popular piece. but Zach this week or this month, I should say just five, not 10 five.
2: Yeah. um, There's two reasons for that. Last first reason is that people complained a ton about how bad the list was. The last time I put one out, that was 10
0: you hear that, guys? You complain, you get less content. May yeah, that be a lesson was, to you, especially as it applies no, no, to this podcast.
2: Oh. FSU is only trying to get like about—I would say—they're trying to add about four to five guys um, through the high school ranks uh, in the twenty-three cycle, uh, in addition to what they already have committed. Um, so that's why I'm going to make it a reflection of how many they want. Um, I put some honorable mentions on there. Those are definitely guys you need to 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 note because um, they could. I, I noted in the thread that there could be a lot of slipping and uh, swap switching and swapping of the list from the guys that are on the honorable mentions to the guys that are currently on the list based on how some recruitments go, especially this is, this will be a pivotal, month. Um, some guys, you know, likely making some decisions. So we'll see how that goes, but um, you want me to run down the top five real quick.
0: Let's do it. We've already talked about two of them. So let's do it real quick uh, because it's yeah. been up for a few days. So we're not giving away house secrets at this point.
2: <laughs> it's a free article as well. Um, Cedric Baxter, running back, is number one. Um, he's been a guy that's just shot up the board for FSU, um, their top option at running back, and probably their top remi- remaining offensive playmaker that they're in on uncommitted. Um, I, I think uh, he, you know, obviously he made the, the unofficial visit for the Clemson game and then used an official visit for the Georgia Tech game. I think if you're going to land Baxter, you need to get him back on campus before he signs in December. He says that it's probably unlikely that he takes official visits in December because he plans to be competing for a state title with his Edgewater team um, during that month, and I believe the state title game is literally on that last official visit weekend. Um, I think it's December sixteenth or fifteenth through the seventeenth, um, and and I think uh, you know that would obviously bode well for FSU if he isn't able to take officials official visits in that month. Um, I still think he probably gets to some campuses. Before signing day, like a guy that talented is not just going to end his recruitment, in my opinion, and not take any more visits. Um, but I think FSU is giving him something to think about. He had some really positive FSU quotes uh, in his latest uh, post-visit uh, interview and article. You can find that on those 24-7, um, but, but said some really positive things. Number two, defensive back Edwin Joseph. He's a newer addition to the list as well. Um, but that's you know not for good reason. He he has also made it back or for back to back FSU home games for Clemson and Georgia Tech, and he has said that he plans to use his uh, official visit to FSU in December. I know that that's probably uh, going to occur on that December 16th visit weekend, which is the last of three visit weekends in December before things shut down uh, prior to the early signing period. Um, he's become FSU's. You know him and Damari Brown are FSU's top corner uh, targets in the high school ranks right now. Um, and I, I, I think Edwin Joseph is a little bit more realistic for FSU um, compared to Damari Brown at this point. Um, and, and I think actually Louisville is the, the, the competition to watch there. I think the Cardinals have done a good job with him uh, and, and people close to him. So definitely a guy that that you need to know um, and a guy that FSU is gonna you know continue to recruit and try to get on campus in December again for an official. Number three is Chris Otto. We already went into him. Um, guy that FSU is also trying to get to official in December. Um, you know, don't really need to go much more in detail there. The next guy we already went over, Damari Brown, um, likely making a decision late November or sometime in December. Um, you know, FSU, Miami, Alabama battle. And then finally, defensive end, Reuben Bain. I got to make sure I say defensive end because last time I said defensive tackle, he was not too happy with me. Um <laughs> But he's a, he's a dog, man. He led the nation in sacks and TFLs, I believe, last year, um, and has only continued that, that production uh, in his senior season over there at Miami Central. FSU has done amazing with with a bunch of Miami Central guys. Obviously, you know you note know in the past, um, you know, just Dalvin Cook obviously is the guy you you want to point to. But even like currently on the roster, Maurice Smith is your center f- from Miami Central. Tatum Bethune's a Miami Central linebacker pro- uh, product. So um, a lot of history there. Um, he was in Tallahassee for FSU's loss against Clemson. He, he said he enjoyed the game experience inside Doak. Um, Louisville, Miami, Auburn, and Alabama are all trying to fight for him. He has scheduled an official visit to Louisville. I think it's for the second weekend of December. Um, that leaves him with one official visit left to use, if I'm correct on that. Um, and he's probably going to pick between, I would guess, Miami and FSU for that um so fsu will have to get that to 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 remain in this recruitment uh obviously um but but uh, he's their top remaining guy at the defensive end position uh in the high school ranks at,
0: at the moment nicely done zachary that was a lot to get through looking at their like official visit dates from last year the official visit list against miami was not particularly like it was strong but not was not fruitful, you had Marvin Jones Jr., Javante Barnes, Camden Brown, DeCarlos Nicholson, All those guys end up at Florida State. Uh, and so I, I think it's worthwhile to note like they haven't used a ton of official visits in the season this year. They also had a lot at the start of last year against Notre Dame uh, with names like uh, Travis Hunter and um, Kevin Coleman and, and Natalie Kelly, and Skinner. So, yeah, what point being is that. Zach mentioned that December 16th date. I think FSU were seeing a shift in strategy for official visits where they want to try to do as many as possible in that final weekend. Last year, their official visitors and the final December weekend were Azaria Thomas, Julian Armella, Daniel Lyons, and Marquise Gilbert. Obviously, Lyons was already committed, but you're able to get Azaria Thomas and Julian Armella, which were both huge wins for FSU at the time. I forget if Gilbert was a take or not or how that all transpired. That that started a domino effect of weird junior college DB recruiting uh, on the list but anyways worth noting that that will be a strategy for FSU in the final stretch here uh, maybe the Florida Gate will be one more big visit weekend date but really you want to try to push your chips into that last one of December all righty before we get to our predictions Chris uh seeing as we are going to be sharing a hotel suite together uh what bourbon do you want me to bring down to possibly celebrate an FSU win We have either this Taconic Rye finished in maple syrup casks. It's from the Miami Bourbon Society, so a little appropriate being in South Florida. It's delicious. All these are bangers. Hartman's Distilling Barrel-Proof Rye. Hartman's Distilling is FSU run. That's up in Buffalo, New York, and that's also great. Or another FSU-themed, Miami-themed one here. This is solely FSU. This is Market Square Liquors. Shout out RIP, former sponsor. Uh, tribute to Bobby Bowden, Four Roses Single Barrel. So, tribute to Bobby B on the side there. It is a fifty-eight percent ABV, ABV, ten-year bourbon. What do you want?
1: Do it for Bobby.
0: All right, do it for Bobby. We're bringing it down. Last time I brought this bottle down to South Florida, Dane and I enjoyed it in the hotel after Hakeem Williams committed to Florida State. So, good luck. It's Some good weird luck shit, man. What do you mean? <laughs>
2: Let's All right. get on with the predictions, man. We don't need your bourbon review. Say that for the other podcast. All right. Uh my prediction, I'm going FSU 38, Miami 27.
0: Huh. Chris?
1: I'm going FSU 35, Miami 27.
0: All right, I am going FSU thirty three, Miami twenty four. So that's a clean sweep, boys. We all picked FSU to win. That means they're totally going to lose now. Way to go! We effed it up, or not? Can I get a Can I get a Miami Miami before we get out of here? I'll edit it. Don't worry.
2: Miami, fuck,
0: Miami. Attaboy. a boy, Chris? And, come on. and oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I think Zach has said enough for the both of us. <laughs> all right for on the bench i'm brendan sedone zach blostein uh, just extra raunchy and out of Whoops. control today getting ready getting ready to get go down to south florida he's already getting in his 954 spirit let's go chris knee uh who's currently not sick we'll see how that, how that pans out i think he's out of the danger zone but we will see chris uh, we should exper-
2: both get brendan sick on the trip down
0: <clears throat> been on the bench